I was going to ask you the same thing, Luke chapter 13. Actually, the text covers, uh, starts um, uh, from the very uh, beginning of that chapter. So I, it would be nice to just put your, I mean, open your Bibles there and just keep it there for the duration of our time here together. Let us pray first as we begin. Father God, your people are here as always. Lord, we are thirsty. We're hungering for you. Come to us through your spirit, O oh God, and and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. According to Urban Dictionary, train wreck. You probably have heard that word before. In urban language or in modern language, it's not a physical train wreck, like a train, you know, just mowing people through or whatever. Train wreck describes something that or someone who is so bad that you don't want to keep watching, but you just can't look away. Have you ever had that before? I mean, it's on TV. A train wreck is a person who is the, the very, some say, the very architect of their own misfortune. That's a good definition of train wreck. Someone whose goals and dreams in life are so big that they're scared of it. So scared, in fact, that they blot out the larger tasks of life and turn such simple acts as walking out the door something really heroic. <laughs> I, I never thought of train wreck, train wreck as being that way before. Um, but I was reading this article online by Sophie uh, Haywood from The Guardian um, and using her life in a funny way. Uh, she uses her own life as an example of, of, train, of a train wreck. Um, and... Um, in a funny way, uh, she, she gives this, um, this example of, you know, what uh, train wrecks do with the ordinary things of life because they're so scared of the big things because, you know, their, their dreams are so big, they're scared of their own dreams. Um, and she says that, you know, uh, something as mundane as washing clothes um, and doing laundry um, is turned into something so super heroic because a train wreck uh, cannot somehow bring himself or herself to systematically go through the clothing, washing it, and then folding it and putting it away systematically. Um, and, and she says, someone who understands, uh, I mean, uh, to, to the point where someone, you know, turns something so uh, simple into something so fantastically heroic, scared um, somehow that... You know, this could turn uh, you into someone who, when you start folding your own clothes and putting it away, and, you know, so that, you know, when you uh, try to get ready for work, you find out that you can actually be ready in just a few minutes' time, rather than, you know, spending minutes on end just, just scouring through, you know, um, you know, clothes strewn all over the place and uh, ill-organized and so on and so forth. So, you know, she, she makes herself, or this train wreck can make herself late for work, digging through her clean clothes, strewn all over the place, and this person can spend entire days dealing with the consequences or with the fallout of not washing her laundry systematically when she could have taken one minute to get dressed and not been late, late to work. And thus, every trip to work is a heroic effort. 
Um, and Miss uh, Haywood uh, says this. It's f- pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, amazing how she's able to cut through um, you know, the, some of the things that uh, train wreck individuals do. She says, train wrecks have a goal so big and a dream of future transformation so intense that they drink to recover from it or hold it in. When you are drunk, you can dream. When you are sober, you can do. But the doing is arduous and repetitive. And the drinking, well, feels like a new invention every time you fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> pretty amazing and pretty funny at that. And she says, and the rabbit hole, guess, get this, the rabbit hole, she says, whispers, holes whisper to you, telling you that you are the best and the funniest rabbit. And so every single day, or as often as, you, as you'd like, you want to get into the rabbit's hole. Train wrecks are fun to watch, even. Uh, especially if it's a rom-com. Of train wrecks, you know, just bumbling about, and then finally gets it right and meets the right person. Um, like, you know... Uh, those of you that are, that are beholden to rom-coms, you know what they are. Like Renee Zellweger or, or Amy Schumer in that movie Trainwreck. Um, because they come to, because they recover, and because they turn their life around, um, and we all go home happy. And so Trainwrecks are, it's hard, very hard to um, turn away. But many train wrecks don't turn out to be rom-coms or even just coms, comedy. Many train wrecks turn out, turn out to be tragedies. Some of you are alive, uh, have been, uh, were alive already, perhaps you can remember this, in 1995, June of 1995, when the authorities discovered Nicole Brown Simpson and her, bo- and her friend Ronald uh, Goldman dead in Miss Brown's home in Brentwood, California. That was in 1995. It's been a long time ago. How many of you still remember O.J. Simpson and the train wreck that was called O.J.? We couldn't, stay, we couldn't look away, can we? It was so luridly fascinating. As one newspaper article recently puts it, uh, referring to O.J. Simpson, a sociopathic celebrity athlete who could not accept that his wife was moving on from the abusive relationship he inflicted on her, so brutally slayed her. Of course, allegedly, we say. And her and a male friend he didn't know. Then because he was rich, he bought the best legal defense, as this article says, defense team, any murder has ever had. And they brilliantly exploited racial distrust in Los Angeles and the U.S. to win an acquittal. Do you remember the day when the acquittal was made and how disgusted we all were? With no more concern, the, the article says, for the long-term damage they were doing than they had qualms about allowing a double murderer to escape justice. When a train wreck 
ends up harming so many individuals in the process. It's no longer rom-com. It's no, no longer just comedy. It becomes tragedy. We watched the video reel of the chase. I remember watching it and uh, played on television over and over again and remembering the courtroom saga. Then the acquittal. And we couldn't get enough of O.J. Simpson of the train wreck, his making of his life. And we watched years after that when some, some sets, I would say, some measure of justice was meted out when he was finally convicted in a, law, a civil lawsuit and rejoice when he was found guilty. And we would say, or some would say, suits him right. Now at least some justice for Nicole and Ron. And our righteous indignation sets in. And of course, these days, my righteous indignation has been kicked, you know, kicked up by uh, what's happening uh, there in Ukraine and other places, but mainly in Ukraine these days. Seeing all the you know, vivid uh, pictures and videos of people getting killed there in that senseless war. And there are bigger train wrecks in the world. And arguably one would say, could say, that this war and the person that started this war there in Ukraine is himself a train wreck. He may not realize it, but he is a train wreck but he's bringing a lot of people down with him. But judgment, we say, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And we Christians, of course, who would we be if we don't believe that there is justice, that the God of love is also the God of justice, and that there is a judgment day coming in the history of this world. And if you can't bring, bring yourself to even believe that, then at least you can believe the law of natural consequences. That is to say that the, you know, you know, the, the saying that you reap what you sow is not something that totally only belongs to the Christians. It is a natural, it's a law of natural consequence. And so we have arrived to, at our text today, here in Luke chapter 13. And we read, or it was read to us today, verses 6 through 9. But really, verses 6 through 9 is actually only the beginning, or, or actually not the beginning, the ending of, you know, this, this passage in Scripture that really begins at the very beginning of the chapter, of, of chapter 13. There at the beginning of this chapter, we find this, uh, you know, this interesting um, uh, uh, you know, a uh, thing where Jesus Christ makes a commentary as to what's happening around his world in his day. And so we find, and we start reading from verse 1, and I'm reading from the uh, English, Standard Ver English Standard Version here. And uh, with your Bibles open, follow along quietly with me if you'd like. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Apparently, there were some Galileans who ended up in Jerusalem 
Um, we don't know exactly, you know, there's no record in history, in the history books that tell us who these Galileans were. We can only maybe surmise and make guesses and uh, inferences and, and what have you, and that perhaps these Galileans were maybe a, a, a bunch of zealots that were after Rome or the toppling of Roman rule there in that part of the world. But they got caught red-handed, and they were annihilated, or they were uh, murdered, whatever, however you want to look at it. Perhaps as they were up there in Jerusalem on a temple mount, as they were worshiping God, uh, Pilate saw them and, you know, and, and swarmed his, uh, you know, armies, I mean, uh, Rome, Rome's legions around them and killed them right there as they were worshiping their God. There were some present at that very time who told him about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And then Jesus Christ answers and makes the commentary of why, you know, of, 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 of that event. Verse 2, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then as quickly as he asks that question, he answers his own question. No, he says, I, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, and killed them, do you think, that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Jesus says, but unless you repent, you, are, you will all likewise perish. Jesus, I mean, come on now. Uh, Someone might say, I'm just asking a simple question. Did you have to come, come back, you know, with that, such an answer as that? It doesn't make Jesus Christ, uh, at least not in this passage, someone, you know, so popular who, you know, who, wants, who you want to listen to, someone who will give you the answer you're looking for. Jesus turns the tables around, as it were, and digs deeper than what we see, or deeper than, you know, what you see on, your, uh, on, on, on television, what you watch on television, or what you watch or we watch using our own phones. And the news of the day. When things like what we see on the news these days, like the war in Ukraine, when we see what's happening over there, it raises the old question yet again. Why so many suffering in this world? And so our righteous indignation, you know, you know, you know our, our antenna, our righteous antenna, go up. And we start asking the questions, the larger questions. Why are these things going on? If there is a God, a righteous God, a just God, why is he letting these things to happen? There was a, um, a story 
about a friend telling another friend that when she complained about the unfairness of life, her father wisely said to her, newsflash, life isn't fair. And the important question is, not so much that to ask those questions. I remember when I was, a, you know, when I was a, in, uh, in, in an undergrad and, and in, in, in our class in exegesis, and my prof- our professor in that class said that there is actually such a thing as the wrong question. Well, it's not so, probably not the wrong question to ask why these things are happening, but perhaps Jesus Christ is trying to open our eyes that there are larger questions to ask as important as that question might be, why are these things happening and why is God allowing these things to happen? Got a news, or somebody forwarded to me about a news, a wonderful news as a matter of fact, about a, uh, a, a, a rocket that landed close to one of our Adventist churches there in Ukraine that did not explode. And there were people hiding in the cellar of that church. And of course, we can rejoice over that, you know, deliverance. And we can even say, and we should say that a miraculous deliverance. For had that huge rocket explode, exploded, it would have killed everyone in sight. And perhaps even those that were hiding in that bunker or in that cellar. But then as, as, as we are mindful of that happening, we're also another, another news or another news that I picked up talks about, among other things, a large church leveled to the ground. Where was God with this church not being spared? And those people who may have been inside this church. And so our righteous indignation goes up and we say to ourselves, the people who are responsible for these things must be punished. And I'm one of those that have been saying that since the start of this war. But Jesus Christ, although I don't think he's saying here in our text, it's, you know, uh, that some wrong, some questions are wrong, but there are some questions that we need to be asking ourselves that are deeper and more Im- important, not that these aren't important, more important than the questions we're asking ourselves. And so, when this question was posed to Jesus Christ, it appears that the premise of this question is that those people who were, uh, those Galileans, eight, uh, Galileans and those that perished at the Pool of Siloam, 18 of them, that they deserved the judgment that they received. And that they must have done something to deserve the judgment of God. And we can say today that in that war and in many other places, as Ken pointed out, there's not just one war happening today. There's one war that's just occupying all our minds and our attention, that's grabbed all our attentions, but there's wars happening all over the world of which we know little about. 
Some of you might remember a family that came here a few uh, uh, months ago who were um, um, missionaries to the, the Uyghurs in China, a minority, ethnic minority in China. And that family's testimony is very, very sad indeed. That an entire people there is being systematically, systematically persecuted by their own government. And so, of course, it is right only for us to ask for the justice of God and for ask, to ask for the judgment of God to be meted out on the guilty ones. Such a response is not a wrong response, but there is a greater response. Another story um, <clears throat> about someone barking at God about suffering in the world. And the person says, why the poverty? Why the hunger? Why so many neglected children? And we might even ask to that, uh, add to that, why these children dying in this senseless war? Did you hear or did you listen to the news about this pregnant lady who was in this maternity ward and the maternity ward was, was, was bombed and she was injured and she had to be, or her unborn child had to be taken out by C-section, but then she didn't survive from her injuries Neither did her child. And so the, uh, um, the, uh, the story says, you know, barking up to God about the suffering in the world. Why the poverty? Why the, the hunger? Why so many neglected children? And God's reply is this. I was going to ask you the same thing. As if to say, to, to ask the question, to ask the question is to be willing to be part of the answer. And so we are. And so we should be part of the answer. If we are chagrined at the sights of everything that we're seeing and we're feeling helpless, there are little things that we can do to help. If we cannot stop one man's crazy calculations in his head, we can at least help. But there's something even larger than this that was going to ask you the same thing. And this is what Jesus Christ, or how Jesus Christ answered and proceeded to develop his answer here in our text today. What was read to us today. Jesus Christ tells this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and have found none. This parable belongs with the, few, with the first few verses in this chapter. And if you lump them together, there's a rhyme and a reason for this parable. It becomes really, really clear. 
And Jesus Christ keeps going and said, the vine dresser looked, he says to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. And then comes this pronouncement, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And Jesus Christ is telling all of us that yes, the questions we ask when the world turns over again and again in all its craziness, in all its inhumanity, in all its sins, in all its evil, and we see people exposing themselves to who they really are. And we ask the question, where is justice? Where is judgment? Where is God? Jesus Christ says there's a more important question besides that, as important as these questions are. And the question is simple as this. In your questionings, do not forget the one question that matters most. How goes it with you and God? And the point that Jesus Christ makes is that, yes, there will be a time of reckoning. And yes, there will be a time of reckoning for that person, for that train wreck, that often takes our attention away from ourselves. What Jesus Christ is saying is that as we point the fingers on others that we see around us that are so obviously evil, or so we think, let us never forget of the one person who counts most to God, and that is you and your standing with him. As we look around us, let us never forget, Jesus says, that at the end of the day, everyone is a sinner in need of the grace of God. You may not be a murderer. You may not be a criminal. You may not be a train wreck. But you are a sinner just like everyone else. And before we start pointing the finger at others, and asking the Lord, when is that person going to receive his judgment? We need to ask ourselves a question. Am I really right with God today? Right now. For this question, Jesus says, is far more important than any question you can ever ask. And it will be the starting point as well of your action in harmony with God to write the things that need to be righted in this world. So yes, ask those questions. But remember to ask the most important one first. And not just first. Ask them. Ask it all the time. Get right with God today. Because judgment day is coming. And Jesus it's true. As Scripture is right, Jesus is coming soon, and all wrongs will be right, made right.
And it will start with you. It will start with me. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for yeah, making mention of that. In fact, you know, Jordan and I uh, were pl- uh, planning out the, uh, the uh, songs, or Jordan uh, texted me and says, what songs should we be singing? And I said, well, honestly, what I basically ended up saying to him was it's a very heavy topic. We're going to be doing this Sabbath. It's on judgment. And we need something to balance that out because you see, there are two kinds to God's, to the coin, to that coin that represents the, the character of God. On one side is his love. And on the other side, it is justice. Justice. And one cannot be presented without the other. That, because then you will have a very warped understanding of God. Jordan, fantastic. This is a fantastic song to end our service today. Because at the end of the day, yes, God will be just, and he is just. And we will bring everyone, everyone to judgment. But the good thing is that his grace overcomes all our sins as well. There is nothing that would take us outside of the bounds of the grace of God if we would surrender ourselves to him today. If you haven't done that, do it now. And then keep asking those questions that you ask every day about the world. And get right with God today, now. Because every day we spend here is a day closer to the end of time. You will not always have tomorrow. Because that tomorrow will become today. And when the end of time comes, that today will be yesterday. Lord God, we fear not your judgment because you know we know that you love us and that we fling ourselves to you with no righteousness of our own, but only claiming the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know that you, him you recognize. And so because of that, Lord, we have the confidence to come to to go to you. And knowing that we are accepted fully as your children, help us to live our lives daily within your grace and to become your partners, O God, and making a difference out there in this crazy world. To not only ask the questions, but to be part of the answers to those questions. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.